Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this opportunity that you give us to be able to consider together uh, fasting as a practice that increases our devotion to you and helps us uh, as we seek to make decisions. Uh, Lord, would you please help us now as we see uh, and listen to the teaching of, of Jesus himself uh, as he teaches us about uh, the proper way in which to fast. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen. So as I said, we're going to take two weeks this week and next week to look at the topic of fasting. We're going to be looking at fasting and devotion this morning and then fasting and decision-making next week. So fasting is intentionally going without food for a predetermined period of time. Uh, intentionally going without food for a predetermined period of time. It's not to be confused with abstaining from food, right? Abstinence from food. Many of you, if you've practiced, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with like practices that surround Lent, for example, uh, you know, you'll give up sugar, you'll give up alcohol, you'll give up something. That's abstinence. That's different from fasting in the way that it has been historically and traditionally understood by the church. Fasting is really to go without food or drink except for water. Uh, for a certain period of time. Uh, now, why are we talking about fasting? Well, as I said a few minutes ago, right, we, are, we find ourselves in this situation where uh, we, we've been moved out of the meeting location that we've had for a really long time. We're trying to figure out, okay, what, what does God have in, in store for us next as a church? Uh, and so we want to pursue God in that, right? We don't, we don't just want to be like, oh, well, whatever, let's find a new place, right? We, we actually want to see this as an opportunity that God is using in order to help us to, to follow him. So partly we're fasting because we're, we're expecting God to provide but we recognize that in that, it's easy for us to predetermine what provision looks like, right? And so we want to fast in order to tune our hearts to what God is going to provide. We want to fast because we want to pay attention. We want to listen to what God has to say uh, and what direction he wants us to take as a church. We want to fast because we want to prepare for what he has in store for us. Now, my, my assumption is that probably a few of you have uh, fasted and maybe even some of you have fasting as a part of your normal rhythms of following Jesus. My assumption is that perhaps most of us have very little experience with fasting and that maybe even a few of us are even asking the question, is this even a thing for Christians? Right? We hear of like fasting in other religions, like Islam, for example, during the month of Ramadan or Judaism. Uh, is fasting even a thing for Christians? So let me just kind of clear the table for us and just say right up the bat, fasting is not the gospel. 
The gospel is the good news of what God has done and is doing through the life, death, resurrection, and future return of Jesus and what that does, how that changes our lives. The gospel is the good news that God is making all things new and that he is working in our hearts. But part of what the gospel says is that when you come to faith in Jesus, that he begins to mess with your life, right? He begins to form you so that you look more like him. And one way of describing that is that that he begins to give us a hunger for God. And so fasting is going without food. Fasting is voluntarily going into physical hunger in order to tap into our hunger for God. Uh, Years ago, when I was in college, my pastor, Dave Crandall, was discipling me. Uh, And I remember that, I don't remember what we were talking about, but I remember this conversation that that we had together. We were in his office, uh, in his study, and he said to me, he's like, Omar, I can always tell who you've been hanging out with by the way you're talking. Uh, I was like, what are you talking about? So he began to tell me, like, he could tell, like, which friend group I had been recently spending time with by the tone of my voice, how sarcastic I was being, the jokes that I was telling. Uh, It ended up being a really profound conversation that really shaped me. I remember it to this day, right, where he began talking to me about how relationships can form you for good or for ill. And that is especially true of our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is a relationship that is forming us for good. Uh, and so when we fast, we fast for it to increase our devotion to God, but we do that because Jesus has already paid for our sin. Jesus has already brought us into the family of God. So fasting happens after faith, powered through the Holy Spirit. We don't do it in order to get God to love us more. We don't do it in order to manipulate God in order to really listen to us so that he will finally be like, well, I guess if you're going to go without food for a few days, then really you actually do love me. And so therefore I will do what you asked me to do. Fasting is going without food in order to heighten our ability to to, to uh, pursue God and in order to, uh, to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna withhold this from my life in order to tap into the hunger that I have for God. Uh, that title, Hunger for God, is the title of a book by uh, a pastor named John Piper. I'm sure many of you are familiar with John Piper. And, and, you know, and I use that name and I recognize that in some circles. You know, I have conversations with you. I realize that for some people, John Piper is a little bit of a polarizing figure right now. Uh, and so all I'll say is that John Piper's early works, uh, this book was written in 1997. Their, their tone is very, uh, is different than some of the things that he's been writing more recently. And this particular book has had a profound impact. In fact, I picked it back up preparing for this sermon, and it was just as rich for me uh, rereading it for probably portions of it for the third time as it was the first time that I read it. And this is what he writes. He says, we ache and yearn and fast to know more and more of all that God is for us in Jesus, but only because he has already laid hold of us and is drawing us ever forward and upward into all of the fullness of knowing him. Uh, fasting is a way of deepening our devotion to God. Uh, 
So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus' teaching. Jesus is teaching us right now. And this is what he wants us. He is giving us, uh, he's, he's telling us that he expects that we're going to fast. We're going to look at the expectation. We're going to look at the warning. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, and then we're going to look at the promise that he gives us. The expectation. So this teaching comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're familiar with the teaching of Jesus, you know that the Sermon on the Mount is probably his most well-known section of teaching. And in this particular portion of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's beginning to lay out for us uh, certain spiritual practices that are hallmarks of what it means to follow him. Specifically, at the beginning of chapter 6, he's talking about giving money to the poor. And then he talks about fasting, and that's where the Lord's prayer shows up. And now he's talking about fasting. Uh, and so in all of these, he is talking to us about the, the way in which we approach these spiritual practices that were benchmarks of Judaism. And he is saying, like, hey, these things are going to carry over into following me. But he begins to tweak them for us in some important ways. And so the expectation is you're going to continue in this practice of fasting. Uh, so I'm just going to give you a sample of all but one. There's one time in the New Testament where it says that the religious leaders were fasting because they made a vow that they were going to kill Paul. So take that one, put it off to the side. Not an example we want to follow. We'll put that over there. Here are the rest of the times that you see fasting in the New Testament. All right? Uh, and these are going to be slides. Uh, Luke chapter 6, the prophetess Anna is said that she was fasting, waiting for the Messiah. Uh, Luke, uh, Matthew 4, Mark 1, Luke 4, Jesus fasting in the wilderness. So three of the four gospel accounts tell us Jesus fasted in the wilderness. Uh, Mark chapter 2, the disciples of John are said to fast. Mark 2, that's our passage. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that's not, that's not this passage. We have Mark 2. Uh, Mark, uh, Matthew 9, Luke 5, uh, and this passage here, Matthew 6, are all times where Jesus teaches about fasting. And then, so that's, that's in the gospel accounts. And then you get to the book of Acts, and we have three instances in the book of Acts where we are told that uh, Jesus' followers are fasting. We have in Ma uh, Acts 9, Paul is fasting after his conversion. In Acts 13, this is the passage we're going to look at next week, Acts 13. You have Paul, Barnabas, and several other leaders of the church in Antioch all fasting because they're trying to figure out what is God calling us to do next. It's from there that the missionary uh, journeys of Paul will happen. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are fasting before they begin appointing elders for the church. I believe that's at the church in Ephesus. So that's just the Bible, right? And then what happens is that you begin to venture into church history. And what you see on the next slide uh, is a list of all of, not all, this is not all. This is not even close to an exhaustive list, right? But what you see here is a list of several prominent church leaders, men and women from different traditions, from Africa, from China, from Europe, who all taught and practiced fasting. And what you can see, I put the dates there so that you can see that from 100 AD till as recently as 1997, people who are theologians and pastors and teachers of the church have practiced and taught fasting. This is the expectation. But there's a warning. 
that Jesus gives us. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. So fasting is, ex- is experiencing physical hunger with a goal of fulfilling a deeper hunger. What are you hungry for? What Jesus is saying here is that it is possible for you, for you and I to use spiritual practices as a way of satisfying our hunger for human approval. It's possible for us to do spiritual things and the reward that we're seeking is the approval of other people. So it's specifically probably happening here. Judaism at this time had two prescribed fast days. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And the reason that they were fasting on Monday and Thursday was because Rome was occupying their land. Uh, And so uh, several scholars talk about this Uh, I read about this specifically in N.T. Wright's book, Jesus and the Victory of God, where he says that, that you have to understand that fasting was an act of lament because Rome was occupying them and they were still, they considered themselves still to be out of the promised land in a certain respect because they could not govern themselves. And so because there was this act of lament, fasting was then accompanied with other culturally appropriate ways of saying, I'm really sad, right? And in that culture, if you were really sad, you showed it with your body, right? The, the, uh, what you would do with your, you, you would have like, you know, sack, the phrase, right? Uh, sackcloth and ashes, right? Sackcloth was the clothes you put on and ashes was that you actually had like ashes on you, right? Somebody would look at you and they would say that person is obviously grieving. Our culture does not do that. Right? The most that we have is that you wear black, but even that is less and less the case culturally anymore. I remember years ago, uh, I was doing ministry in an area of Miami called Homestead uh, with Youth for Christ, and we were in a, doing ministry among predominantly Haitian and Mexican-American youth. Uh, and the, the mother of one of, sorry, the, the father of one of the uh, young boys in the ministry f- passed away, and we went to the funeral. Uh, and, and you had, uh, I mean, people like wailing at the top of their lungs, throwing themselves physically on the casket, right, as an act of mourning. And now you, you and I hear that and you're like, that's not how we do things, right? So what Jesus is saying is like, hey, when you're fasting and you're attaching to it these practices of mourning, what's ended up happening is you're just getting the approval of other people because they're looking at you and they're saying, wow, aren't they really, aren't they really devout? Aren't, man, they must, they must really love God. So Piper says this, he says, if the reward you aim at in fasting is the admiration of others, that is what you will get and that is all that you will get. In other words, the danger of hypocrisy is that it is so successful. So Jesus says, don't let anybody know that you're fasting, right? Because if, you're, if your fasting is making other people put their attention on you, 
then what is going to end up happening is that the Lord is not going to pay attention to that kind of fasting. Your hunger for God is the thing that you should be pursuing. Now, that does not mean that letting other people know that your fasting is wrong. We know, for example, that Jesus fasted. All three of the synoptic gospels tell us. How how did those authors come to find that out? Because Jesus said it, right? We are told that Paul and Barnabas and the leaders of the church in Antioch and I think it's Ephesus all fasted. How do we know that? Because they talked about it, right? Uh, And so this is not to say that you're not allowed to talk about it, but it is saying you have to remember who you're doing it for. Now, the reality is that none of us here today are going to be fasting or doing really any other spiritual practice uh, and probably drawing this kind of attention that's culturally specific to this day and time, right? This is thousands of years ago now. But there are ways in which we can do the exact same thing. So let me address two. I'm going to broaden it out a little bit, and I'm going to address two ways that we have to be cautious about how to do this. Uh, two ways. First of all, uh, there's the reality of social media, right? So, so you, if you if you spend any time on social media, you know it is not uncommon to see unco- uncommon to see somebody posting aspects of their religious practices on Instagram, right? You're you're getting ready for your Bible study. You, you know, you like curate the thing. You take a snapshot. You post that online. Getting ready for my devos with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that that's a sin. Right? I'm not saying that that's wrong, but, I, but, but here's the question. Whose approval are you ultimately seeking in that? I, I'm, not even, I'm not asking that as a rhetorical question in order to say you're obviously seeking the approval of people. I'm simply stating this is something that we all see on social media, and the question for us to ask is whose approval are we seeking? I'll be honest with you. You, don't, you. you will hardly ever see me on social media. And this is the reason why. Because I started doing this and I was like, oh, I don't like this part of who I am. I'm going to kill it. And so I'm, I'm hardly ever on social media. You will hardly ever see me post anything. I, I, I thank you when you wish me a happy birthday on Facebook. I go and I say, like, hey, everybody, thanks for the birthday love. And that's about the extent of my social media presence. Because, because this is in my heart. And I don't want to feed it at all. Now, the second group of people, the second kind of area that I want to address specifically for us this morning is those of us who are intentionally trying to engage in some facet of ministry. And I'm using that in the super broad sense. So let me parse that out for you, right? Some of us here today uh, are vocationally paid or unpaid uh, in ministry, right? Some of us, like, that's, that's, that's how we uh, pay for our shoes, uh, or that's how we spend significant amount of time during the week through volunteering and things like that. Uh, we have talked about wanting to be a church that is intentionally making disciples. Uh, and so already we have men and women in this church who are investing in other people through discipleship groups and Bible studies and one-on-one relationships. Uh, And then, you know, many of you, right, uh, if you have kids or you have other friends, like you're trying to mentor them and invest in them, disciple them, right? So really broad brushstroke of who I'm talking about. The fact of the matter is, right, that you, if you are trying to invest in somebody else, 
there is a sense in which we have to pull back the curtain and let people know our spiritual practices, right? Because we have to teach and model and set an example. Jesus set an example for his disciples, not just for the 12, although certainly for the 12, but he set an example for his, all of his disciples, all of the men and women who were following him around and listened to his teaching. Paul in Philippians 3 talks about like, hey, I'm intentionally setting an example for you so that you will follow my example and then I want you to be an example for other people. And so the reality is that by, by when, whenever we choose to intentionally step into doing ministry in some way, shape, or form, part of that necessitates our opening up aspects of our spiritual life. And here's the danger. You begin to do that and you have to be aware of the temptation to do it for human approval. That does not mean you stop, right? I would not be doing my job as your pastor if I don't talk to you about my fasting. But I have to be very aware of the fact that when I talk to you about my fasting, I'm not doing it so that you look at me and say, man, our pastor is so spiritual. That's, but that's the tension we have to hold on to. And so Jesus here is not negating that, but he's warning you, make sure you're paying attention to the reality of the temptation that comes when you are fasting and doing these spiritual practices. All right, so Jesus expects us to fast. Uh, he, he says, when you fast, right? It's an expectation. Uh, he's not saying if, it's when. It's not a command, but it's an expectation. Uh, it's not the gospel, The gospel is faith through Jesus Christ saves you. Faith through Jesus Christ reconciles you to God. But when you're saved, when you put faith in Jesus Christ, you're in relationship. And when you're in a relationship with Jesus, he likes to mess with you. And when he messes with you, he asks you to do things like go without food. Fasting is a way of deepening our devotion to God. But remember that it is only possible through our faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that going without food will have any spiritual benefit whatsoever, right? You can fast uh, with no spiritual component to it. Look up intermittent fasting. You're going to find, look, 3,000 hits on Amazon for intermittent fasting, right? So so there's plenty out there. We're just like, oh, we want to do this for the health benefits. That's there, Uh, But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fasting as followers of Jesus. And then there's this really strange thing that Jesus said. Jesus says this, right? Your father who sees you will reward you. What on earth is that? Right? And I know some of you are like, no, 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 no. That's like like works righteousness. No, listen to what Jesus has to say. Um, Years ago, I remember listening to a woman who was giving a... um, like one of those productivity talks. Uh, And she was talking about how whenever you set a goal for yourself, especially whenever you set a goal for yourself because you're trying to develop a a new habit, a new practice for your life, that when you reward yourself for accomplishing the goal, like this is a good practice, right? That you, you reward, in fact, I think Kylie was talking about this when we were doing the prayer stuff at the beginning, right? What was it that she asked you to like do a little like dance or something like that? Um, you reward yourself, right? And what she was saying was that you wanna reward yourself with something that takes you deeper into the practice. So for example, right, if you're, if you're trying to run more, and your goal is to like ultimately run a marathon, you don't reward yourself by going and getting gelato, 
right? You reward yourself by buying a nicer pair of running shoes. Because the nicer pair of running shoes is going to do what? It's going to take you further into the practice that you're trying to establish. If you're learning an instrument, right? You, 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 you learn an instrument, then you don't reward yourself by going and playing video games. Not that there's anything wrong with video games, but you don't, that's not what you do, right? You, you like buy something nice to trick out your instrument, right? You buy fancy, you buy like the super expensive strings, or, or maybe you get to a certain point and you buy, like you level up the instrument that you're playing. I think that's what that kind of idea, the reward idea that Jesus has in, uh, is talking about here. It's a reward that takes you deeper into the practice. What's the reward? And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, why are we doing it in the first place? Because there's a hunger for God. And so the reward then has to be God, right? You fast, and the reward that, that, get, that the Lord gives us when we fast is that he gives us himself. Now you might be like, well, but Omar, like he already has given us himself in Jesus. Absolutely. I'm not saying that you're going to get any more salvation. You got all the salvation that you're going to get. You got 100% of it, right? But we all know if you follow Jesus for any period of time, you all know that there are moments where his presence is deep and profound and it is beautiful. Don't you want more of that? See, that, like, that's, that's my gig as a pastor. I, it's like, what's that, uh, you, you, you get, a, you get a, a food magazine, right? Uh, you get a TV ad or something like that about food. I'm, I'm going to keep it to food because it's on point with this, right? Uh, and the really great cookbook, the really great, you know, gourmet back in the day, Food and wine now, not so much. But gourmet was great at this, right? Um, you, would, you would open it up and you'd be like, oh, I want to make that. Right? And so you'd go to the grocery store and you'd get these like crazy ingredients and you come home and you eat it and it's every bit as good as you was like, oh, this is great. That's the Christian life, y'all. Right? Except in this weird kind of thing that God says, hey, the way to get there is in part by going without. That one way, it's not the only way, but one way to, to experience the reward is by saying, I'm going to, I'm going to die to my, my, my physical hunger. You know what happens? I fasted last week. Uh, I know this was maybe two weeks ago. And I had to go to the post office. In the East Village, so frame of reference, East Village, okay? And I'm walking from the Monica Warehouse to the post office uh, in the East Village. Now, if you've walked in the East Village, you know, like, it's not, you're not going to encounter the most pleasant smells when you're walking in the East Village. I, I tell you that uh, every restaurant I walked past, it was like they were sending an aroma missile to my nostrils, enticing me to go in. I, I don't think I ever craved a Lola taco as much as I did walk into the, and, and it was just this fascinating moment. I'm like, I am, I could totally go eat a Lola taco. Nobody knows that I'm fasting today except my wife. I've got cash. Like I could even hide it from her. <laughs> and then I was like, do I really love a Lola taco more than Jesus? 
No, I don't love Allah, Allah Taqwa more than Jesus. Um, now, here's the thing, right? That the reward is God. However, the God that we serve is a God that loves to give gifts. And so we do see instances in scripture, we're going to look at one next week, where, where people pursue fasting because they're like, Jesus, we need you to show up. We need something. Uh, and, and, and the primary motivation is hunger for you. But the reality is we got to figure out what's next, right? And this is what you're going to see next week in, uh, in Acts chapter 13. Um, so, so it's not to say that, that God doesn't provide gifts. But as Piper says, he says, the reward we are seeking is not first or mainly the gifts of God, the reward we are seeking is God himself. He is your reward. And so I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to join me. I am, I hope that what I have accomplished today is to give you this beautiful gourmet ad of, of, of something and that you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, I want that. And so we're inviting, we're inviting you specifically two things, three things. Uh, tomorrow night, 6.30, my house. We're going to go into uh, four weeks where we're going to study fasting together. Uh, the material's great. I've done it before. It's really well done. Uh, and we're going to fast. Uh, we're going to pick a time to fast as a group of people. Uh, and and I am, I've already been praying for this, but, but I'm, I'm praying that God will use that for those who sign up. There's, we already have three people who signed up. Uh, I'm, I'm praying, and I'll, I'm going to be charismatic Presbyterian. I'm expecting uh, that God is going to do something with that. I'm expecting it. Uh, I realize Monday may not work for everybody. That's okay. Uh, so uh, if you click through there, the place where you would sign up to be part of the group, um, there are resources, books, this book, I mentioned this book, and there's another book. Um, there's a series of podcasts that are actually connected to the curriculum that we're going to be doing. So if you can't make Monday, but you're like, I'm interested, right? There's resources there, podcast books for whoever you learn best. Uh, so that's the second thing. The third thing is that I'm asking you uh, to join me. Pick a day this week and fast. I'm doing this. I'm telling you right now, I'm committing to fasting one day a week. I'm, I'm going to try to have it be Wednesday uh, between now and the end of the year. So that's seven weeks. I'm committing to the Lord and to you all. I'm going to fast for our church one day a week from now until the end of the year. Um, I'm not going to prescribe to you. If you ask me one-on-one, I'll tell you how I'm doing that. I'm not going to tell that in front of everybody because I don't want to dictate to you how you should do it. Right? And that is that part, there's that tension, right? Like I'm, I'm telling you my spiritual practice, but I'm going to put up a guardrail. It says like, eh, I'm not going to go that far because I want to be careful with my own heart that I'm not doing it for your approval. Fasting is not a command. Fasting is not the gospel. The gospel is that through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be reconciled to God. The gospel is that God came in the form of Jesus to make all things new. The gospel is the good news. When you come to believe the gospel, Jesus loves to mess with your life. And one way that he invites you to mess with you 
is to say, when you fast, do it for me, do it for the Father, and then you're going to get the reward. You're going to get the Father. You're going to get more of him, and, and that's what we want. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for uh, your, the teaching of your son Jesus that, that pushes us in ways that are uncomfortable, that, that, that challenges us to do things that are inconvenient and annoying. And yet, by doing these things, uh, we are recognizing that you choose to work as we empty ourselves, as we follow your example. Uh, Lord, I pray for us as a church right now. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you have in store, but I pray that you would allow this season of fasting to have a profound effect on us as a church. I ask, Lord, that you would uh, be pleased to use uh, fasting in the lives of those who participate in such a way that, that uh, we experience tangibly your presence. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would allow this uh, to have a, a profoundly formative effect on us as your disciples. And I ask that you would, as we seek to do this together, that you would please uh, provide that you would help us to pay attention, that you would help us to pursue you, uh, and that you would help us, Lord, to see uh, your provision and not predetermined. And we need your help to do all of that. Uh, we ask this uh, in the name of Jesus, who has given us this teaching. Amen. All right, let's.